Welcome, everybody. This is Bard's Backlog, the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into the prestigious Hall of Games. Josh and I are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidate, including today's. Write us in. You know the drill. The email is askvgb at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of the episodes. Tell us what we should cover. Give us your thoughts, your feedback, um, all of your love and hate for our opinions, though trashy they are. You can support the podcast by giving our social media posts a like, following us there or on your podcast service of choice, and by dropping a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We accept all honest reviews as long as you're being honest and saying that it's five stars. Last time we talked about the Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, and uh, we decided that it did not deserve to go into the Hall of Games, Uh, and it's funny, we kind of came to the conclusion that we need to play as many Zelda games as we can, but, and uh, Josh being the expert on this, it was like the one Zelda game that we wouldn't have put into the Hall of Games, because it is, as a franchise, great. It's just kind of interesting that we settled on that game to choose and uh, talk about. Great, yeah. great podcast. Go give just that one uh, convenient, a you know, because it just came out. So, Right, exactly, exactly. Josh, I just have a question for you before we get started here. If you had to do a tour of Europe, where would you go, and why wouldn't you go to Ukraine? <laughs> Uh, I love this question, Jared. Um, by the way, I, you did not mention, of course, that uh, you are the casual Jared. So I want to make sure everybody knows who yeah, the gotta... swarthy, soothing voice is coming at you across yeah. the ways. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely not Ukraine. Um, just uh, the Shatter Belt in general, not necessarily the first place I'd go in Europe. Um, so just a lot of tension there, kind of all the time. It's not necessarily... Uh, like, I don't want to say anything bad about it because it's I haven't been, so I can't necessarily make any judgment calls one way or the other. And I'm sure it would be very interesting to go for its own reasons, but it's not my first choice. I would probably say, where would I go if I could do a tour? Okay, so does this mean I'm limited then? Like, it sounds like I'd have, like, what is it, like three options or something? Like, top three? Uh, if European I had to... Yeah, if I had to say, like, hey, Josh, you have to tour the world, why wouldn't it be Ukraine? Like, obviously, current tensions, Ukraine aside, your first choice would probably be, like, Japan and Asia, I'd imagine. I'm imagining. Sure, but you you have specifically saying Europe. You said tour Europe here. So if you had to choose Europe here, like, I don't know, just tell me, like, what would be on your highlight roll? Where would you go? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely not Ukraine. Um, Probably, like... You know, uh, Italy, uh, probably Rome. I've always wanted to go to Rome, so I'd throw mm-hmm. that on there. Uh, Rome, I, I know it's not everyone's, you know, everyone tends to go for, like, Paris um, or Spain. My mom's, like, all about going and seeing Spain. But for me, it'd be Rome, Italy, uh, other places in Italy, too, but Rome especially. And then after that, actually, Germany. I would love to just go see a couple of castles in Germany and... Um, of course, hit up Berlin, but in general, just like I, I, from what I understand, it just has a lot of 
you know, ancient magical vibes to it because mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. just where it's at. And, you know, a lot of fairy tales come out of Germany. So it just has that aspect going for it. A lot of history, of course, throughout all of Europe, but um, there especially. And then after that, it would have to be London. I, I do like um, British culture and I've always wanted to go to the Tower of London. I've always wanted to go, you know, just uh, wherever in that, you know, the um, Buckingham Palace and seeing all of the course. sights, getting on one of the double tiered buses like that sounds great to me. Like, I'd love to go and do that. Would you be interested in seeing the, in fact, you might have already said this, but would you be interested in seeing the Palace of Versailles, King, Ooh. the Sun King's Palace? Absolutely. I know you're a no, history buff. For sure. For sure. I mean, in, in France, I, I did skip them in those top three, right? I said Rome and then Berlin and then right, right, London. Right. But France, I mean, Paris, France, um, all those fantastic sites there as well would be great. Anywhere really yeah. in Europe would be fun to go see. I mean, we could we could talk about Greece. We could talk about um, uh, Switzerland. We could talk about Sweden. I've heard the Netherlands is super cool. Seeing the fjords yes, over in that Scandinavian area. So, like, man, I, I, honestly, I just love to go. <laughs> Are you offering? Yeah. Is this an offer? Are we going, Jared? I'm down to go. Let's go. It's it's on the bucket list, of course, just like it is for everyone's. But uh, but Indeed. specifically Europe, it's just one of those things, like. Europe is kind of dense compared to like the United States. Oh um, yeah. For the most part, Europe fits on our like the top half of our East Coast fits almost all of Europe. Uh, I might have that flipped actually, but um, but it is a great place. But it's not something you can just do in like ten or seven days. Like you genuinely need mm -hmm. to take like a summer and just go see Europe, and you probably won't even get to everything that you want to get to. But 100%. like uh, highlights. Yeah, highlights for me would definitely be um, the Hall of Mirrors, Palace of Versailles in France. Madrid in Spain, um, obviously Lisbon and Portugal, the coastline really, and then the Mediterranean, Mykonos or Mykonos or Mi Mykonos, Santorini, Santorini, Greece, like some of those spots, Mediterranean in general, and then yeah, of course yeah. London, London and all that stuff. For yeah, sure. shout I'm a big out to city Ireland. Kind of person. Yeah, yeah, Ireland. Yes, uh, maybe uh, maybe just a pub, just pop in for a layover, and uh, <laughs> I don't know, but all all great stuff. So much there, so much rich culture and rich history i just have never you and i are bigger fans of japan and the the, the sure. far east i think so i've never really heard you talk about europe so i was curious on your thoughts uh for that so hey yeah, ubisoft yeah, yeah. headquarters there in france i mean assassin's creed there you go <laughs> you know what you i'm go. saying yeah, yeah they're history buffs of their own in a way indeed yeah yeah well on to the next segment josh let's talk about the games we play in Now, Josh, I see that you have mentioned for uh, an, the, the nth time Deathloop here. Does it really <laughs> still have such a hold on you? It's rare for a game we play in 
to be uh, stuck to you like glue like this? Are you are you dropping the hint to me? That what what you know? T- just tell me more. Yeah, I don't know if it's anything new necessarily to bring to this particular episode. I didn't play a whole lot of it this week. I finished it though. And okay, outside go. of our pick for this week, that was really the only game I I played otherwise. So I just want to bring that up. Had a great ending. Actually, really was satisfying to me. Um, awesome game. Awesome loop. Like the detective side of things and trying to like put together clues and uh, piecing together the story and, and where people are in the loop and how you can manipulate that was just so much fun. By the end of it, you are totally a god. So like that was a lot of fun too. Um, the final day though, that being said, is still pretty intense. Like once you're ready and you got everything lined up, got all your doc- ducks in a row, all your um, domino pieces in place. Um, it puts up quite a fight because it is, you know, the final final thing. But I was so right. overpowered. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> it really didn't. Like, at the very end, um, and this is every day. Like, every day there's, like, a party at the end of the day. But at the final day, because you're killing the visionaries throughout the whole day, the loop gets more and more destabilized, which makes it more and more intense by the time you get to the very end. And that party was insane and so packed full of people. It was like hundreds of NPCs, it felt like. But I just hid out in the cellar and I shot one guy and they just kept running through the door. And I like, I had, um, what is it, Carnesis, I think is the power. And I'm just like grabbing people and throwing them and they're exploding into each other. And I had like <laughs> this massive gun and I'm like, bam, just one shotting every single person coming through the door. So it was like, it was nothing at that point could stop me. Like, even if they all ganged up on me, nothing was going to happen. But all that to say, like, yes, that side of things, it got over, kind of ridiculous, but I still thoroughly enjoyed the story. I thoroughly enjoyed how the decision making, especially at the end, played out. Great game. Fantastic. Yeah. Enclosed experience. Just... Nothing like it. Nothing like it out there. Love Deathloop. So wanted to give that a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think like you know, quality is quality. And if it grips you this this much, I mean, you're the expert gamer here, I'm the cash. If a game grips me, it's because I'm easy to please. If a game grips you, it's because there's something you know, qualitatively good about it for sure. So let and, me ask and, you this and, here. And what about like, I just want to point out too, for this, like, w- like what about this game is like so original is also just the, the characters themselves, the two main ones, Juliana and Colt. Like, I, I hate to bring this up because it is such a, like, I don't know. Um, leftist thing to say, but the fact that these two are like minorities, like from a minority group and are the lead roles and that that's there and that they commit to it, and that they don't bring it up, they don't put it, like, shove it down your throat, it's just authentic, and it's just a part of the story, and it works, and you don't question it, and it doesn't feel forced, oh, such a fresh, like, breath of air from me, Jared, Uh, because a lot of what the leftists are doing is shoving that sort of stuff down your throat, as opposed to letting it breathe naturally, Um, and this one worked super well because of that, and so I really, really enjoyed it in that respect yeah. as well, which is funny to say, cause I'm very much not of that cloth, but I do want to say that as well. I mean, you're a minority, but you're not of a, the leftist. cloth. <laughs> well, I guess I just don't buy into the identity politics, you know, of today. You know, I'd not at all, but I don't at the same time miss out on this fact that, yeah, this is not a generic white soldier guy at the front of the sure. thing. Yeah. And 
And a lot of the times, like when you do have, oftentimes, like a a minority figure as the as the main character, it it feels forced. It feels weird, and yeah. it's almost yeah. like they're doing it and like, haha, look, we're doing this thing, and it's like, uh, it doesn't add anything to it. In this case, it was great. It was a great choice, and I and I, and I loved it for that. And their their personalities were so much fun, <laughs> and so being with them the whole time was was a, was a joy. It was great. That is great. You know, it's you're uh, kind of foreshadowing something that I'm going to say about Horizon Zero Dawn later. Similarly, uh, and I'm excited to see what you think about that when we finally do get to the title of our uh, the title game of our podcast episode today. But I also noticed that you are um, playing Uncharted Four. Is that because the movie is coming out soon and you just kind of like got hyped and so you wanted to jump back into it or maybe is this your first time? I kind of assume that since you've been a PlayStation person that you've played the Uncharted games. Am I incorrect? You are not incorrect. I am a pretty big Uncharted nut. Uncharted 2 is one of the games I've played through a lot. It's one of the only games I've platinumed and Uncharted 3 as well. Love those games. So 4, right up my alley. I've only played through it once. They just the reason I'm playing it is because they just released it on the PS5 as a promotion for the um, movie. Jared, oh, I have no okay. interest in that movie. I am <laughs> dreading even seeing it. You're not it. a Tom Holland fan. <sighs> Honestly, I'm not. I really am not. Like he's he's fine. He's fine as he as he is, and he's got his own boyish charm, whatever. But um, and he's my age, so like I have to get with it if he's doing all these great things. <laughs> Um, but like, so I don't have anything against the guy, but honestly, truthfully, I am not looking forward to that movie. It was funny because at the start of Uncharted 4, it goes into his past as he's growing up in an orphanage. And I was like, oh, hey, look, they did have Tom Holland in these movies, like as a joke yeah. to my wife, because he's like 12 <laughs> in that scene. <laughs> but he's about the same size. So, um, but Uncharted 4 is a cinematic masterpiece so to go back to it is going to be a ton of fun honestly I, I literally just turned it on for the first time this evening and it was just because gotcha. karina was like you know what i don't want to watch anything we watched a bunch of doctor who today so she was like why don't you just play something and i'll watch and i was like hey look this is out um it had a free which was awesome i love that they did this they just gave a free ten dollar upgrade to anybody that they saw owns it on the ps4 already um, and the upgrade is well worth it. They did a you lot. Go. You can tell. Well, not a lot, but they definitely honed in the aspects of the graphics and everything for the PS5. Sure. So, whew, sure. is it pretty, man? This has got to be one of the prettiest games ever made. Um, and especially on the PS5. So, it was a, a small upgrade. Got it. Was just playing it for the cinematic perspective. I'm going to continue to play it. Um just because I love the series, and it's been a while since I've played this one. But yeah, that one's on that list as well of games I have been playing as of literally an hour ago. So, Well, there you go. So you're playing... It's funny, our podcast ties in nicely because you know we're going to talk about... Uh, I'm going to kind of uh, repeat you again when we talk about Horizon Zero Dawn because I think it's one of the prettiest games I've ever played too. So excited to talk about that. But I'm also kind of under the impression that Anything that you play on the PlayStation 5 is going to be beautiful. And so I'm wondering if I'm going to have to stop just fawning over stuff eventually because you just have to get used to it. But, but you know, that leads me to, to think about... Um, I So Josh and I will probably, maybe, who knows, possibly, uh, to be determined, discuss God of War. Not sure which game, 
uh, on this podcast eventually. So I am playing through God of War 3. Now, I did mention a couple episodes ago that I was playing God of War, orig- the original title, obviously playing it on the PS5. Uh, they have kind of like the PlayStation Now thing where they bring back old games and you can play them on the PlayStation 5, which is really cool. I didn't think that it would extend that far back, but this is all the way back to the PS2. Uh, and they're playing, I, I was playing through that just a little bit. I played a couple hours of it and I was like, okay, I think I've got the feel for this game. So I watched the rest of the cutscenes. So I'd be up on the lore. You could go to YouTube and like watch through all the cutscenes of these games. So you can like be up on it and stuff. So I watched through the cutscenes, and then I also watched through all of the cutscenes for God of War two. So I was like, all right, all right. All the way up to when Kratos brings the Titans to storm Mount Olympus in his exacting his vengeance against Zeus. And now I am, what? I just said hype. Oh, hype, pardon me. I was like, "Uh oh, I said something (laughs) wrong. Um, And now I am playing through God of War 3 and just lost the original battle and have descended, I'm working my way uh, through the underworld uh, against Hades. As as of now, my first impression of this game is that I prefer Hades, the video game's version of Greek lore over God of War's mm-hmm. Greek lore, but that's okay. That's to be expected to have some preferences. But yes, t- it's been really cool to watch through all those cutscenes, see each game like graphically progress and get a little better, a little smoother. And now God of War 3 is a pretty beautiful game. It holds up pretty good. It's got some issues here and there, but for the most part, it's really pretty. But I'm playing God of War 3 so I can play God of War 2018 so I can play God of War Ragnarok. <laughs> there you go. Which, which leads me to our default segment. Oh, 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 hold on, Jared. Hold on. You're getting too excited here. I need to know God of War here. A couple more things because this is, I think if we cover it, God of War 3 is a good one to, to cover. So um, I love this game, but... I need to know, like, story-wise, how it's progressed. What do you think? Like, the 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 centerpiece of Kratos is not the most exciting thing, but just how his legacy has played out from what you've gathered up until this point. Has it been enjoyable, or do you think it's pretty shallow? It's been... <sighs> you know, I actually feel like it's been on par with Greek tragedy. So Kratos, as of God of War 3, was a violent, violent individual whose wife and child were always at home, and he was, uh, you know, for the glory of Sparta. And then he started, he almost lost his life to a horde of barbarians. So he's already, like, gone from A number one to almost died. He had to call out, out of desperation, to the god Ares uh, of his own mythology to help him out. And then Ares said, only for a price— and so that's fine. So he went through a significant amount of pain to be Ares' underling, which is humiliating enough. And then Ares tricks him into um, killing his own wife and child. And then he is cursed. He is the white ghost of Sparta. He is covered in the ashes of his wife and child. So that's humiliating enough. And so his life, I feel like, follows the ups and downs. He goes from, he goes from Spartan to the ghost of Sparta to having the blades of chaos and having those seared against his flesh with chains, which is pretty cool. And then he loses his army, and then he, you know, constant death follows him all over the place. And then he eventually succeeds in killing a god, and he becomes a god. But then the Olympians turn on him. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's all this stuff. So his plotline isn't necessarily him as a character 
as conceivable because he's violent and angry and that level of violence and anger and just this is these are very gory games they have oh, been yeah. from the outset and they're almost uncomfortable i would say it's not as bad as like if i'm being perfectly vulnerable here mortal combat mortal mortal combat x and those like the death scenes and the screaming and the gore that makes me physically ill i don't like that <laughs> and so this those is are like, like a goofy step- though I don't know, man. I, think I don't know. They're they pretty just they, goofy. they disturb me a little bit. They're yeah. pretty disturbing sometimes. Yeah, no, you're yeah, right. But yeah. like in, but in just, God of War, you got like that the the Poseidon poke is what I call it to finish off Poseidon there at that first battle, and that's just yeah. like oh, like that made me like I did yeah. not like having to perform that <laughs> or yeah. have that performed no, to you because that was beautiful, like the way that they had it from Poseidon's perspective. Oh yeah, and you can just feel the menace from Kratos. Yeah, yeah, and I so him as a perf like as a character like unless you can re- unless you are a very violent person you're not going to relate to him but he's he has suffered at the level of Greek mythology and I think mm. that's very fitting so for me it's very cohesive and I I don't I'm not personally attached to these versions like I need you to understand like if Hades uh, from the game Hades you know uh, father of Zagreus if he were to suffer at the hands of Kratos, I'd be emotionally upset and and you know annoyed and because I'm attached. You know what sure. I mean. But I have no attachment to these characters. They're just there because the Greek mythology is done over and over and over again in video games and film. So you know okay. it is what it is. It's this version of that, and I have no sympathy for uh, Ares and for Zeus and for Athena and for all these different characters because they're awful. Yeah. And that's true of Greek mythology. They're awful, awful, awful. So. It is what it is. I am enjoying the story so far. I like the incorporation of the Titans. That's an oft-overlooked thing in Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm enjoying it so far. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Good. yeah. Okay. Well, then, yeah. Uh, that was my question. So, Hey, no looking problem. Forward I look forward to discussing it. more of it. Yes. And I'm yeah. looking forward to the outlook that this is going to give me for the next game and Ragnarok, you know, whichever we cover in there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Josh... Speaking of Ragnarok, I have to ask you, we've talked about this before, um, but I need to know for our default segment. If you had to guess on a Game Awards candidate out of the big four, and I'm going to exclude some people here, but the big four that are generating the most media attention that people are the most excited for, the big four releasing in 2022 are Breath of the Wild 2 to be announced, although it's strongly, um, it's been leaked a couple times, and we do believe that Breath of the Wild 2, although the title may not be that, is going to be released in 2022. God of War Ragnarok comes out February 25th, I think. Um, Elden Ring comes out in February as well, which is crazy. And Horizon uh, Forbidden West comes out in a couple of days here. Um, so though, out of the big four, Josh, if you had to choose, which do you think will win the Game of the Year award at the Game Awards? Oh, Game Awards are such a hard thing to predict. Yeah. They are such a hard thing to predict. It's like, 
I'm always baffled by the choice. <laughs> really? Not see, always. See, no, maybe not always, but... When I look at the candidates of the Game Awards, like, there's very few that I don't know, and that's even as a casual. You know what I mean? So when I look back at 2018, God of mm. War, uh, uh, I can't remember the other titles off the top of my head, but look, 2017, Horizon Zero Dawn was among them, Breath of the Wild was among them. These are titles that everyone has heard about, so I feel like they're picking from the best of the best. They take five or six that are the best across, you know, you know, different platforms, different niches. And then, you know, Metroid Dread was last year, one of y'all last year's nominees, and like that makes sense and all that stuff. So So are you asking you then if it's if these will be candidates or which one of these four would yeah. win? Which of the four, just based on the hype, would win, do you think, mm. game of the year? Or or is the answer none of the above? Because we may have a sneaky candidate like Starfield is the is going to be the next big release sure. from Bethesda, and that's kind of like a Skyrim in space, as I've heard. I haven't heard a, not, a lot of media attention for that one, um, but like that, there's a lot of hype about that one, from what I understand. And there's a couple others. Uh, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League is coming out. Um, uh, Oc- uh, Gotham Knights, I think, is coming out. This is supposed to be a follow-up to the Arkham games, Batman Arkham games, and Batman is dead in this game. Um, so, like, who who knows? They, yeah, they choose to yeah. fill for sure. So what do you think, Josh? What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I th- honestly, I think it's going to come down to how critics and the audience responds to Ragnarok. Out of all of these... I think Game Awards-wise, Ragnarok is the critical darling. Um, but it's going to come down to what that reception is like when it was first released. Because if it is a little too similar to the first one, or to the 2018 God of War, then it is likely to get beat out by Horizon, actually. I think Horizon is going to be a sleeper hit for a lot of people. <laughs> and we'll talk about that, too, as we talk about Zero Dawn. But Forbidden West, I think a lot of people are sleeping on right now. Because it's almost as if they've forgotten how good New Dawn was. All the hype is surrounding Ragnarok. I feel like Elden Ring, personally, I think is the one that would deserve. I'm saying that, of course, not having played it. So that's just my own fanboy coming out there. But I don't think that would be a Game Awards candidate. Although, even as I say that, Sekiro won. Sekiro won at the Game Awards. So, yeah, I don't know, Jared. (laughs) That's a good yeah. question. They're all so good. They're Any hope for Breath so of the Wild 2, you think? It'll be a late entry no. into, of the year. No hope, you think? No, not at the Game Awards. I don't think so. Unless I mean, it really blows people's socks off, which I don't think it will. I think it's going to be more Breath of the Wild. Right. And so in that way, it's good. I think Horizon will blow people's socks off because there are a lot of things that you can improve within that ecosystem. Um, Ragnarok 2 is kind of like Breath of the Wild in that it might just be more of God of War, and that's where I think it could get docked. Sure. Um, so it's anybody's game for sure, but I think it's Ragnarok's to lose. That's my opinion. Fair enough. I like it. What do you think? You know, I was actually going to say um, I think it'll probably be uh, Horizon Forbidden West, and I, I don't say that because I'm such a huge fan of Horizon Zero Dawn although I am, but I do see it because it's bigger, it's badder, mm. it's longer. They're expecting it's not. It's going to take you hundreds, not less really? than. It's going to take Oof. you hundreds to complete this game. They're stuffing it so full of that machine hunting goodness. And, I mean, the, the cut scenes all look just as good as they did in 2018. 
you're bringing some of the most popular characters back from the first franchise. You are, you know, there's so many unanswered questions that they left off for the first game. So many untied ends, uh, loose ends. Uh, that's what untied means, yeah. Jared. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> there's so many of that that I think that this, this will just be, it'll be the front runner all year long unless someone can steal it at the end of the year. That's my personal thought. Um, but we'll see. I just think that it's going to impress more people than Elden yeah. Ring will because Elden yeah. Ring's hype is going to be its own downfall, I think. Unless the storyline is just some miraculously beautiful, huge, amazing thing, which is not really like from software's thing. They're more like subtle, no. subdued, under the, under the, you know, I don't, what's the word I'm looking for? Under, uh, just more subtle. You know what I mean? Like it's really not out and in your face most of the yeah. time. It's really kind of just plays to the background. It's about the experience of playing that game. So, you know, it's it's hard to say, but I think the front runner would be Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, just looking at obviously pre-release footage and all that different stuff. But we will see. I think your um I think your intuition about God of War and Breath of the Wild 2 are spot on. That makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Elden Ring too, like it is it it, it is one that I think will be like legendary and is going to break the internet and everything. But just my initial reaction is it's not game awards material. And then horizon is for me, that sleeper hit. Like that's the thing that really could be the other dog that upsets it. So in that way, I I think your instinct toward it is wise. Um, But game awards is just a weird beast. I don't know. We'll see. We'll right. see. You know, all at the end of the day, everybody wins. <laughs> everybody wins because <laughs> we all get these games. So, yes, uh, yes, it's going to be great. With so many delays in 2021, 2022 is shaping up to be an oddly amazing year. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Josh. Let's get into it. Today's episode is all about Horizon Zero Dawn. I, Jared, I, the Cash, the host of today's episode, I have been, oh my goodness, wooed. I have been flawlessly overtaken <laughs> by this game. I You've have been fallen smitten. in love. I have been smitten. Aloy is my queen. I'm going to get a tattoo <laughs> of her on my left cheek. It's going to be the, the best. It's going to be the bomb diggity. She is my favorite of all time. She is the goddess. She is the queen with a K. Um, Tell me about it. Your first impressions, your overall impressions. Give me a quick summation, Josh. What what did you think of the game? Could you sub it up? Oh, man, Jared. This game, especially at the time, but even now going back, like I, I see it's what's make, what made it so special then. But at the time, I was so thoroughly impressed with this game. Um, 
And, and a lot of people were. Uh, but really the part that came out to me more than anything was how well thought out every aspect of it was. Like you had mentioned, I think in last the last podcast, that they had gone into this with the idea of let's do the craziest thing we can. Mm-hmm. And they committed yep. to that. And especially from the like the world side of things, the story side of things, like they thought everything out. They went through every single like um, reason for why these animal robots are the way that they are, and and why these tribal people are the way that they are, and um, yeah, I just from that side of things, like this original story and world stands among the classics in gaming like first game out already up there because of how much they thought through all of it and so for that reason i just i was so thoroughly impressed playing it for the first time it's also so stinking fun on the combat side of things so i remember loving it i did however get to the place where i was happy with the experience it wasn't one that i wanted to necessarily be consumed with for the rest of my life but at that time, it was so great. I loved the, the I thought it was a perfect length. And um, I, I can't say enough good about it. I mean, I, we can get into more detail, but overall impression was, was good. It still is. I, I still think this is an instant classic. But for you, yeah. Jared, I think you went into this with the idea of this was going to be good. And it sounds like that is the case. But impressions wise, how did you finally, you know, come to that? conclusion of i love this game yes well i mean my first the the opening of the game is much like you know we're going to tell you a story you start this game up and the the first thing that happens is you're you're you see the face of rost and you uh you know he he cares for this this small baby before you see any menus before you see anything other than a brightness setter you you see rost and he starts off the game carrying this child to this mountain where um, the naming ceremony, this baby will get a name. And uh, she's a little girl, and he's like, I've been thinking about it. And hopefully, listen, for reasons at the time, you just get the sense that he's hoping for a blessing from the matriarchs of, of the culture, and but he's not expecting one. And you find out later it's because, you know, he's an outcast and he has this tremendous respect for tradition. And it's so interesting to me that the game is so stunning. Um, and and the game never drops in quality either. Like you mm. see that first cinema opening of that scene and that, that playthrough never drops off in quality. All of the cutscenes are that highest level. All of the gameplay is the highest level. The dialogue is that highest level of cinema quality. Like it's a beautiful game. So that's the first thing. But two, like, we are going to tell you a story. That's how this yes. game starts. And and then as the as the scene, like it kind of like a, like a drone shot almost backs away from Rost, having named the child and gotten the blessing of the matriarch, um, having named her, the camera zooms out from that scene, and that's your menu. That's your start platform. New game. Here we go. And I just love that. It's so seamless. It's so well thought out. I love that you described your overall impression of this game as well thought out because I think that nails it. That is absolutely the penultimate compliment to this game. Um, 
as opposed to a game like Skyrim, which just feels like forced. It's glitchy. It's got so many <laughs> bugs. It's you see what I'm saying? Like you know, it, Skyrim's a classic, but like it's something you have to love while you hate it at the same time. This game, there's almost, and we're gonna talk about it. Some downsides, some upsides, but like at first glance, it is tremendous. It's beautiful. It's well thought out. It's the graphics are insane, um, yeah, yeah. and and you know the the gameplay introduction is is flawless. Uh, yeah. And you know you start very simple. Um, you know, you start with your local community. I love this. It's really just, I do too. I do too. Actually, I think we could start, like start off this by talking in depth about the story, because I think that's what is the cornerstone of everything else. And I love that guerrilla games in my mind, it seems as if they wanted to nail that first and then the rest followed. Um, so story-wise, sorry, I, you were already talking about it, but I think we could continue down that path for a little while. Yeah, that's a perfect segue. You're totally right. Because what I was going to say is that the, the, the introduction to the story is perfect in, in, its, in its scope and scale, the way it scales so gently and subtly that you don't even notice. It just feels so natural. You start in your, fir- your whole world is centered around Rost and this idea that you are an outcast child, and you don't know why. It doesn't make sense to you as a child. You play as Aloy, uh, this little girl, and her father figure is Rost, but he's not actually her dad. We don't know where she came from, but he might as well be her dad because he trains her, he raises her, he advises her to respect tradition. It doesn't matter that the local kids bully her and they're not allowed to speak to her because of the religious beliefs of this tribe. And so it starts with just the focus is on you and Rost and your interactions with the tribe. And then it zooms out just a little bit to the local community as she tries out for the proving. And then it zooms out even just a little further to the air, you know, mother's embrace, the surrounding area. And then it zooms out to just around the corner. And then it really zooms out to the Karja Empire. And it's, you just see what I'm saying? Like the game scales so nicely. And, and you go from local community to the greater world, and then it expand, the greater world expands in complexity into political factions and yeah, differing yeah. ideals and all this different stuff. It expands so, so beautifully. I love that introduction to the story. This is the hero's narrative done to perfection. Like, it has, especially kind of playing through it again this time, I, I picked up on this a little better, but, like, it has that feeling that a... Uh, star wars gives uh and this is what good epics do they kind of start you in the middle and you don't realize that when you first start because it is it's it's in that not microscopic but just enclosed story of yeah it's it's aloy as the outcast and her trying to fit in with the tribe that she's always wanted to be a part of but that's just a small sliver of the overall like story that's going on here. And, and as she continues on, of course she becomes the hero of this journey as she fulfills that role, as she grows into that more and more of the, um, uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, of her legacy is revealed more and more of her fate is revealed more and more of her, uh, destiny is what I'm looking for. Destiny, um, is shown to us and you realize like how significant this character is but that's not how it started nor did it want to put all that in front of you nor did it need to because it nailed that small closed in um story so well in the first place like you care about the tribe you care about uh, aloy's wanting to be accepted 
Um, you get that, of course, chip on your shoulder toward the one kid that threw the rock at her. Um, you care for Rost and you, you're heartbroken when um, he leaves the scene. Like all of those little beats are so well done that you don't even realize that this isn't the main story. <laughs> like you don't even realize that you're in the middle of a larger, more, um, more, uh, dire, I would say, um, stakes and narrative than, than what you're seeing in the moment. And, and Guerrilla Games just, man, nailed it in such a way that I think a lot of people do not give this game credit for. And I, I hope that they never make a movie out of this. But I will say that, like, I could read books and books and books of this series and of this world and of what's going on in this because I do think it's that rich. I think there really is that much there. Um, and this is the first game. This was a whole original idea. And to, to knock all that out of the park, I love for that. It's incredible to find a story that's so believable um, that really, like, y- you have games that take themselves pretty seriously um, mm-hmm. and you can sense that. But this game... Something about the way that it's just laid at your feet to explore and to expand upon yourself, it really does make it seem like everything that you do is choosing to take the next step in the adventure, and it, that it is your choice. I love that it's it's just absolutely ble- believable, and it takes something as old like the the fact that, and we're gonna spoil it here, folks. If you don't want any spoilers, don't go any further <laughs> because we're gonna have to discuss this game. So you know, go play the game, pause this episode, go play the whole game, and then come unpause us. But um, you there, really do want to do that too. Like this is not Seriously, one that you yeah. want to hear about. You this is one to experience. Yes, uh, I would. Uh, but it takes a tale as old as sci-fi itself, which is humans as robots, and we call that AI. And it takes a tale uh, as old as sci-fi itself and gives it a fresh new twist. When you finally get down to the, the, the bones of this story, what happened is, is that humanity created an AI it could not control and that took over the whole world. That's essentially the plot of so many sci-fi movies. It's the plot of yeah, so many. Yeah, it's Terminator. Movies. Exactly, exactly. And so this is a fresh new facelift to that old concept. And I, I remember the first time that I ever saw a commercial for Horizon Zero Dawn, and it was Aloy, you know, dodge rolling through the grass and taking down this giant dinosaur-looking robot. What? Yeah. Like that is such a fresh. Well, it, well, it's fresh because it's beautiful, and the graphics of this game obviously are are fantastic, and that's a huge pull of this. Um, but like, it, it's just so it was so captivating instantly. Unfortunately, at the time, PlayStation exclusive. <laughs> but um, but <laughs> I I've, I've wanted to play this game for as as long as I've seen it for forever. But again, that fresh twist on an age-old concept really makes this game feel uh, original. You know what I mean? Like that balance between um, trying to do something that's tried and true and trying to do something original. Sometimes the original fails because people don't know how to judge it. They have no benchmark for its for like what to think of it as. Like abstract art sometimes gets called trash and sometimes it gets called, you know, groundbreaking and innovative and it's the same sculpture that people are talking about and it's just because it's so original but this game really feels original although once you get far enough into the story you realize oh here's what actually happened and i've kind of seen that story before so it's it's really really good stuff all the way around josh tell me what stood out to you more was it the combat or the characters like really like since we've discussed story Mm. briefly what takes front and center for you after that i think the story sticks with me yeah 
the combat though does too man those are the two beacons like those are the columns of this game like uh really you you can't separate either of them or this would not be the game that it is so well it's it's hard to say go ahead i i was just gonna say a story is only as good as its characters a lot of the time so you know finish your thought and then just tell me like let's jump in what did you think of the characters in the story i think the characters really are probably as far as the story is concerned mm, not they're not going to blow your mind other than perhaps Aloy. I think the the background narrative is more compelling than the story. That being said, there is a lot of, of personal notes. I think the beginning, especially with your tribe, um, the like mother chieftains, I don't know what they're called, who are like in charge of it and whatnot, like um, the different dynamics between that and the outcasts and everything, and Rost, of course, being your father figure, all of that is great. Once you start to get to the Empire at large and some of those other characters, there's a good amount of like believable motivation and interesting things, but I don't think any of them like are imprinted in my brain other than and I'm gonna say that this guy's imprinted in my brain and not remember his name, but the like mysterious dude uh, that pops up every now and then and he's kind of I don't even is he just it's it's like he's called Stranger. Is that what he's called? At first, um, what does he do? What does he do in the story? He's the guy. Um, he's the black guy that like is obviously like there's something shady about him, and then it turns out that he was working with Hades, the um, AI, and um, oh, silence, 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 silence. Okay, I said stranger, but silence. Yes, is his name correct? Um, I liked him. I thought that he was a really interesting, compelling character, um, and yeah. Aloy is too. But outside of those two, the rest of them, other than um, was name Farron or Pharaoh? Oh, man, I gotta look up these guys' names before we. I just start talking about them. Some of the ones that are like a part of the 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 history of it, like those original people who, when everything started to go wrong with the machines, very yeah. interesting. But you don't actually, outside of you know when she's going and researching and and doing her detective work in those parts of the world, like you're not interacting with them. So yeah. You're talking about um, Ted Farrow. Um, Farrow, yeah, Farrow. Yeah, um, uh, Farrow Industries, which is the company that own, uh, started up, programmed, and owned the robots um, that took over the world and ruined the world. Um, yes. So, Josh, I would have to, I would have to disagree with you here. Hit me with a chair. Ju- just in the sense that, like, every, just about every character that I came across had a unique enough twist on their personality that they they stood out to me for the most part in all the right ways. Um, and part of that too is just because like I love stuff like that and that, that sure. comes to the forefront. Like if you love games about combat, then the combat's gonna stand to the front. And if you love if you love being social and all that stuff, then then that's what's gonna stand to the front. You know what I mean? Um, like some people love the fact that in Persona 5 the romance is like their favorite part. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Um, uh, and so, and I really shouldn't be saying that because it's a game I haven't played yet. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, w- I did want to make a note about characters because there is an, an interesting dichotomy. The game starts with Rost, who is, in my mind, the definition of your like moderately conservative, hard-headed father figure who actually supports your dreams when you're being the most courage- courageous version of yourself. 
And Rost even goes so far as to say that like, I respect tradition so much that when you do this proving, which is essentially her, like Aloy's ticket, Aloy being the main character, Aloy's ticket into norm normalcy, she's been an outcast her whole life. If she does the proving, she gets to be accepted back into the tribe as a brave and is even granted special privileges. And Rost, who is chose to be an outcast, and you find out later why, he chose to be an outcast, and when he helps Aloy conquer her dreams, he knows that it'll eventually lead to the fact that she will become one of the tribe tribe through the proving, and he will continue to be an outcast, and they won't be able to speak to each other because that's the rules. You don't speak to outcasts. So, like, he literally trains this girl to leave him, trains his daughter to leave him, but that's what she mm. wants. And so you start with this great father figure. Every father desires that their child should surpass them, at least if they're a good father figure, desires that their child should should surpass them. And, you know, Ross does that. He, he And there's a heartbreaking scene um, where you are told by Ross that he'll, this is it, this is goodbye, because you're mm -hmm. gonna go be part of the world and I'm gonna keep being an outcast. And that's such a heartbreak scene uh, filled with so many emotions as it should be. But I have to say that a lot of the characters stand out. There's Varl, who is Sonia, the war chief's son. Aratak of the, or Aratak, pardon me, of the Frozen Wilds DLC. He is a, he's the chieftain, and you have to mm. best him in a, a trial, in the Hunting Grounds trial version, something along those lines. And you become the chieftain, and you're an outsider, and he cedes to you for good reason. That whole storyline is fantastic. Um, I'll mention See, I didn't more play the later. DLC, so that right, is something right. I definitely have a, a, a pocket of my knowledge in. So absolutely worth it, but for for more reasons than just the story. Like I've said in previous podcasts, the DLC fits so seamlessly into the game that it's insane. Um, but uh, there's Varl, Aratak, and Rost. But I knew I do need to just point this out, Josh. Did you pick up on any feminism in this game? You know, no. I mean, I, I'm not on the level that you would expect. I mean, obviously, like the there is a little bit of um, what do you call female savior complexity throughout the game. Like, of course, Aloy is the savior in the present. Um, she's the clone of the savior from the past. The the AI that saves the world is Mother Gaia, you know, Mother Earth. So, I mean, there's definitely um, matriarchal elements of the game that are undeniable. But none of it is shoved down your throat. It's all contextual. And because of that, it, it feels... It, just like what I mentioned with Deathloop, and I think this was the tie-in you kind of wanted to make with it, so yep, that's exactly, uh, I might be yep. stealing your thunder a little bit, but um, it's it's not forced on you, nor does it feel forced in the story. It all makes perfect sense. I mean, it makes sense that Aloy is the way that she is, because she was an outcast. She grew up in hardship, and so she is that sort of woman because of those things. It's not like the Captain Marvel movie, where uh, Brie Larson's Captain Marvel is a superhero because she a girl, you know? And it's like, mm, not liking that. Like, don't buy it. I don't buy it in that respect. And, yes. and here with Aloy, I do. She's earned her stripes. And on top of that, she's she's fairly humble about it. Like, she doesn't put up with the crap of men, which is great. Um, but she's also not brazen or um, flaunting or any of those things that I think can be pitfalls of feminism. Um, so I would say 
basically no basically yeah. no i don't i don't see much of it at all in this game so here's why i asked that question and that's exactly the point i was going to make go ahead and steal my thunder i love that you caught on that's exactly right but let me let me just say let me back up a little bit the reason i ask this question is because outside of rost who exits the story early on, spoilers, again, he passes on. And there's actually a really cool element where you can return to his gravesite and update him on your journey. It's actually really beautiful. If you return to that location, there'll be an option to kneel and speak to Rost. And you can kneel at his grave and tell him what you've been doing with your life, update him on your adventures. There's no, re- there's no return response. It's, you know, kind of a harsh, you know, it's, they, they really don't, they really don't, like, use the fact that it's a video game beyond it's reasonable you know what i'm saying like they don't yeah. ever do it and yeah. uh there's no breaking of the fourth wall or anything like that it's just aloy talking to her father figure who's passed on and who protected her to do it but outside of rost air attack in the frozen wilds dlc and varl there are zero and i genuinely do mean zero good male characters yeah and it, this is striking this is striking every significant male character for the rest of the game outside of those three is either a drunk that's uh uh now i'm blanking on his name he's the guard for meridian um he's got the side chops um he's i know who you're talking about <laughs> yeah i can't errand 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 yes e-r-e-n-d errand um is either a drunk a manipulative mansplainer, which is the head of the hunting lodge. Uh, he is a coward, which is Olin. Or he's um, uh, an insecure man-child. I, I said that, but that's the king of Meridian. It's the sun king, Avad, is a literally an emotional man-child. And a lot and, of those tribes people that are picking on Eli yes, at the front, too. Yes. The bully at the start of the game. All, you know, all this different stuff, or they're just violent or obscene. Silence is is someone who thinks he's so right about everything that he's murderous. And you learn mm-hmm. a little bit more about his past in the frozen wilds. It is it is it blows my mind how many problematic male characters there are. And if I could just to buffer my point here, and I I, necessarily, I don't really necessarily have a, a problem with this because of the things that Josh brought up. There's a moment in the game where Aloy, um, halfway through the storyline, returns to Mother's Heart to find it all burnt to the ground. And she has to fight through robots to get back to her tribe because she needs to go there. She finally has the key to unlock the place where she was revealed or found or whatever else and unlocks more of the story. There's a point in which she comes from... All right, let me back up. i got to give you some context. This tribe is very superstitious. They're made fun of in the yes. rest of the world. So there's kind of like some subvert, not subversive, but like undertones of anti-religion sentiment um, because I was of actually going to ask you about some of that stuff, but yeah, and we'll we'll on. talk about that in just a second. The because I loved, I was thinking the same thing, but the there's some anti-religious undertones to this game for sure, and one of the reasons is because the Nora worship the machines, and they think that they're oh, oh, oh mother mother Earth the the all mother has spoken, and by all mother. When you go meet the All-Mother, it's the AI that's in charge of the door of the mountain. And it's like, identity scan required. And the All-Mother has spoken. That's her voice. (laughs) So they're literally, you know, the AI. Aloy, because of the, you know, the choices of the past, is a clone of the past 
savior of the back, Elizabeth Sobeck. And so she is, she is a reproduction of her. She doesn't have her memories or anything, but she is her identity, 99.98% of her genetic com- makeup. She is a recreation of her because of the, the try to save the world uh, plot. And so she's able to identiscan through these doors. And so she does. And the tribe stays behind and watches her enter this. And when she comes out, they fall to their knees and say, all hail Aloy. She is the all mother's prophet. And they drop to their knees and start doing the, the performative, you know, you know, bend over bow and all that stuff. And Aloy tears through the crowd and yanks them up by their arms and said, what are you doing? Do not worship me. What, it, what is wrong with you people? And she like, you know, yanks them up and says, do not worship me, and all, the, all this different stuff. There's such a powerful, emotional moment to the story right there because of all that she went through. She, you know, you cast me out, and now you're going to worship me? And it just incredible, a, a culmination of so many feelings right up until that moment. But, but outside of Aloy, there's also like um, Talana. Uh, there is Petra. There's all these other, there's a, uh, I can't remember her name, but she's my new favorite. She's like this really gorgeous um, uh, a black woman with like abs and everything. Fantastic. <laughs> um, she's beautiful, but she's, she's in there and like th- there's people complaining about like their husbands and how, you know, petulant their boyfriends are and all this different stuff. And I just can't help but notice that all the people or most of the people that Aloy has conflict with are dudes. And all the people that she ends up helping, you know, some, for some of the side quests and whatever else, are like these strong, capable, independent women. And I just hmm. couldn't help but notice that. And I guess, I don't know, like maybe I'm a misogynist. I don't think I am. But I just like, I'm looking for strong characters everywhere. And it seems yeah. like every time I ran across a man, he was like a petulant man child. And every time I came across a female, she was like the most well-balanced character in the game. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't help but notice it. And so while some I couldn't subtle find, feminism, perhaps. Yeah, and, and while I couldn't find, and again, but Josh, I need to make this point. You bring up, everything is in context. So it's not like, yeah. I really didn't feel like it was feminism for feminism's sake. And I also don't feel that way because when I looked up the game and I tried to look up the background and the creators, they really didn't have an agenda. A lot of the times, if people throw this into their messaging in their game, they really want you to know. And so they're going to yeah, back it up yeah. with interviews and all this different stuff. Like, yeah, we want you to know that, you know, it's girl power all day long and all this different stuff. And like, whatever, if you want to do that, that's fine. If you make a quality product and a quality game, I have no problem throwing my money at it. But I really felt like it was understated, but definitely there. And it was hmm. always in context. It was always believable. Again, one of the things about this game is that it is truly believable every single step of the way. And um, you know, that is what it is. Josh, you did have, you wanted to make a comment about anti-religious themes. Did you want to elaborate on that? Um, yeah, well, I just wanted to ask you what you thought about that. Um, so you did notice it how, too. Yeah, just how it was represented. And, and you, you've pretty much touched base on one I wanted to mention. So it makes perfect sense. Honestly, the, the like regress toward tribal living was, I think a neat idea and they pulled it off pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, of course you're going to have some, totally some funky religion and perspective from that side of things. But, um, yeah, I, you, you are correct in that, you know, and you have like the, the all like the older ladies leading the tribe, which, yep. you know, how realistic is that? Like in, in reality, like if we were in a tribal situation, especially, the old ladies would not be running the show. Like, absolutely not. It's just, I'm sorry. That's just not how that would work out in actual real world history. Um, but 
in this case, you know, they, they are kind of, they're, they're, they're fudging reality a little bit here and there. And that, yeah. that is certainly the case in some of those characters as well. But I will say like, you can't discount the, the male figure of Rost, you know, like he is a part of that and that is a genuinely good figure. So it's not like it was all negative toward right. the patriarchy, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but at the same yeah. time, there is some connotation of, like, perhaps she could have done this without Rost anyway. Like, she kind of comes to the decision herself. Um, right. Although Rost does keep her from, well, depending on the decision you make, but he does keep her from kind of uh, acting out in ways that perhaps she would have otherwise. Um, but yeah, the religious side of things isn't too in your face, but it's there. Like, it, it does, in those minor moments, make a bit of a mockery of it. But it's not like it's, I mean, some religions are genuinely silly. <laughs> so, yeah. like, what are you going to yeah. do about it, you know? Yeah. It does. It comes to the culmination of them worshiping what is obviously a human-created AI. Sure. So, well, and that right. that's contextual as well, because they explain how the histories are all completely lost. Like, right. uh, there was a whole initiative mm-hmm. when the world was going to end that, like, we are going to try to preserve our histories. And then explicitly, isn't it Pharaoh that goes? It like, is. Yeah, deletes everything. Yep. And so it's like, yeah, if you'd have no knowledge of what has happened before and you see some <clears throat> magnificent piece of technology that you just cannot understand yourself, then you might naturally decide to worship it. I mean, human beings have worshipped rivers in the past, so that doesn't surprise me at all, you know? So Yeah. Yeah, and you know, again, maybe it's because I'm so uh, we're, we come so face to face with it all the time. Like if you're on Twitter at all, you know, uh, speaking of which, handle at Jared T Bend and at Video Game Bard. Um, but uh, or your JRG Galagos, I can't remember. It's Jackson right now, and I don't know if I'm going to keep that. Honestly, it's kind of a uh, like a pen name sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also but just anyway. a way to kind of uh, honestly obscure my handle from students <laughs> from finding uh, me. There you go. So there hopefully go. none of them listen to this podcast. If you are um, on Twitter at all, you will you will notice eventually that the world has has it out for you know. Any number of people. Right now, they seem to hate the rich. You know, this "eat the rich" is a popular phrase, and all this different stuff. And Ted Farrow, the kind of the main uh, previous, you know, in the past enemy antagonist, is this rich white dude who's the richest man on earth. The game makes that very clear. His company is the biggest company on earth, money wise. And the game just constantly throws in your face all the time how they were just buying stuff to abuse it, buying stuff to achieve its resources. Sure. And then and abuse it. And Ted Farrow at the at one of the last you know scenes of the past that you see is him killing off the staff members of mm. the the project because they were going to um, keep archive all of human human knowledge and um, and save it for the future generations. They were going to go into a bunker. All human life was going to die, and then it was going to restart. And they were going to teach them everything in the past. And Ted Farrow for kind of single-handedly cheats the system, kills all of those people by suffocating them in an airlock and refuses to let the past move on to the future. And I, it seems to be strongly implied that he does this because he doesn't want to look bad because he mm-hmm. knows he's the villain. And that's yeah. what's you know, strongly implied, although it's not explicitly stated. But um, that's, 
sad. And that's why humanity literally does not know anything about their past. And they yeah. worship all mother, which is just an AI voice, um, because they don't know any better. And, you know, so there's, there's some of that stuff there for sure. Um, and, you know, just, it, it leads to the whole, you know, what should we do with our future? How far should we go? And all this different stuff. It asks you big questions and it really doesn't provide any answers. Um, it seems to suggest that, you know, hmm. humanity is just going to human, you know, so it is what it is, <laughs> but, but it, it does leave some questions and I, it's another reason why this game is fantastic. There's a lot of yeah. um, great literature out there that just ask questions and don't provide solutions and that's okay. Literally and there's a sequel. Think about it. Yeah, exactly. So it's coming up. Um, so I might did get some love, questions. I did love the the lore of this game. I love. Did you like just hunger for those little snippets of sound bites and? Absolutely, and, um, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and all the explanations satisfied too. That's something video games have a hard time doing. Oh yeah. Most of the time, it's goofy, shallow, basic, and it works because it's a video game and you're enjoying the combat, but. In this game, it all is logical. It all sounds like something that could happen. You know, it is something that, um, yeah, I could see a corrupt businessman uh, allowing a glitch to get to the point where we can't control it and then it getting too far to leading to extinction. And then that right. same businessman trying to erase his part of that and all of it so that the exactly. rest of the world doesn't know. Like all of that. Those questions were there in my mind, and then they were answered in ways that were authentic and made sense to me. So I loved, yeah. I love that so much about the game. And all of this too is good. Like the exploration of the game, uh, and I'd like to get to that in a more technical sense here in a second. But the exploration of the game is largely so enjoyable because it is so well written. There's very little fluff. There's very little unnecessary information. They really cut right to the chase. They give you the raw human emotion in the moment. There's a point in the story at which you're following the general who's having to sacrifice civilian lives to keep the robots at bay. And one of the things that makes the robots so deadly is that they have biomass converters, which essentially yeah. means that they are eating the planet as they move to power themselves to keep moving. So you, you got to think of kind of like locusts on a field, like just eating right. and eating and eating. And that's how they are. And so this five-star general of the United States is trying to hold the world together with like the slimmest resources because they're so outnumbered by these robots that can produce themselves and replicate and all this different stuff. And he just hates himself, but you grow to love his character. And, and that just speaks to the fantastic writing in a, you know, adjacent to the fantastic voice acting. I mean, Lance Reddick's the voice of Silence and Ashley Birch, the voice of Aloy, are A-listers at this point. I'm, they are so good. And it, it makes, you know, it does make a difference too, I think, that they used facial motion capture, uh, um, which we'll talk about in a second here. But like, those people deserve just Emmys and Tonys and and Oscars and all this. It was it was incredible <laughs> to hear their their voices and all this different stuff. So Josh, um, we could go in two different directions here. Uh, did you? Let's talk about um, uh, blah 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 blah. Unless you had another comment on the story here, I could. I, I, wanted, I could ask you a question if you if you interested. I wanted to know if you found the machines. Um, believable like in general their purpose like i felt like that was one of the things in the game that i like and this is something even karina was mentioning 
<laughs> the other day is like, if you are uh, a robotics engineer, why would you design a T-Rex? <laughs> like, okay, 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 okay. So I, I, I don't know if I'm on speaker, probably not, because that's not really how it's good to record. But that that is actually answered in one of the snippets of audio files between Gaia, the 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 all mother kind of the AI that's responsible for restarting life on Earth when she sees fit, and Elizabeth Sobet, her creator. Gaia actually in her many conversations, and this is you know an emotional learning synthetic intelligence that Elizabeth is talking to and, and growing her personality essentially. Gaia actually says, I find the extinction of the dinosaurs sad. And so she brings back some of these, like that's why the sawtooth, that's just a, a riff mm-hmm. on the saber tooth. And right. the thunder jaw is just a T-Rex with um, drones attached to its hips that it launches at you conveniently. Um, and these are all machines, obviously. And so, you know, the snap jaw is a, is a prehistoric-sized alligator and all this different stuff. So she finds Gaia, the AI that's responsible for all this, finds their extinction sad. And so that's why they exist. So you'd really have to, like, you kind of have to pay attention to catch that little snippet of the lore. Because sure. it's not, you know, it's not, well, it's not very memorable for one, like, it's a scene in one of the, I don't even remember where I found it, but like, that's what it is. It's an extra snippet of conversation, but like, um, you know, that's, that's part of it. They, they, you know, the lore in this game, if I can make this comparison, it's not as wide, like there's not as much of it, but it is fairly deep when you do get to see it. So like, yeah, yeah. So, but it's not like Skyrim lore, like Skyrim, the creator of Skyrim literally, literally wrote in game books. <laughs> which blows my mind. Um, and one of the reasons I love Skyrim because that commitment to the lore. But but because they wrote so much of it, it's confusing. It's not very deep. It's just a lot. You know what I mean? And this game is kind of the opposite. Like they, they do ask a lot of questions and give you a lot of mysteries, but they also answer a good bit of them. And so, you know, that's where the dinosaur comes from. I do see Karina's point, And that's probably what a lot of the creators when this game was originally pitched, it's like, why would you have a robot dinosaur? That doesn't really... You know, it doesn't make sense. But I really, I personally believe that they just sold that and they make it, they made it, make it work. So, um, they do, they sell it well. They do. Yeah, for sure. So, speaking of these robots, Josh, one of the most satisfying things you can do is shoot chunks off of robots with a bow and arrow. Heck yeah. This game's. Sound effects, the sound effects of this game as you launch arrows, you know, explosive or shock or ice or whatever else elementally tipped, you know, on the end here, and you're blowing chunks and components off of these things which fly off and spiral and fling all over the place. And the animal, you know, the creature, the machine staggers as it falls, whatever else, and you're hunting these things sometimes out of survival and sometimes out of need for parts. And honestly, sometimes because, you know, every once in a while you go hunting and every once in a while you get hunted, um, the game's combat and, you know, everything like that is tremendous. Did you find it as addicting as I did? Yes, especially the first time I played it. It's the combat, you know, the, the idea of, yeah, let's shoot robots with bow and arrows. Sounds so funky, but they commit to it. And it is, I think one of the most smooth feeling combat systems in gaming. The only other comparison I could think of recently that felt, I think just ever so slightly better is Sekiro. 
I would say Sekiro is a little bit better as far as the, um, I think just the uh, smoothness of it is concerned. That being said, this game definitely has a lot more strategy um, because you have so many tools at your disposal that it is just always fun. It is that's I mean that's what brings you back to this game. Like obviously the story is is going to drive you forward in its own right, but why you play it is for those those robot animal fights you know and and figuring out the different strategies that work on the different robots and the different um components that you need to shoot off and of course you can scan them and get where their weak points are but then it's like okay do i use a flame arrow or do i shoot a shock orb at it or do i tether it to the ground you know you have so many options at your disposal and it's all so well designed it's so tightly designed to the point where like you're switching between these things on the fly while you're sprinting and you know rolling or uh, sliding on the ground and jumping and slow motioning as you pull out your bow and arrow and um aiming and it's like it it feels so good like it is so hard to to explain even like how, how good it feels because it is one of those flow state games that like it just gets better the more that you play it you get better the more that you play it um and the tools at your disposal really do become vital crucial to how you tackle each of these different um challenges really because it's not just the fact that each of these animals are different but that they throw different amounts of them at you at different times and you have to manage you know you actually have to manage how your how your resources are um you have to craft in the middle sometimes of what you're doing. Um, you need to make sure, okay, which of these animals is the biggest threat? Which one do I need to take out right now? Um, I remember every time that there was a stalker involved, I was stressed as all get out <laughs> in yes. those fights. Because you got to take that guy out first. Like He is going to be your downfall if you do not make sure that he is um, you know, neutralized. Yeah. And... And of course, you got Thunder Jaws, and and I don't remember what the big flying ones are called, but like any of those skip spectacle, large scale fights are are definitely gonna make you sweat. You know, you you have to be careful, and you have to strategize, and you have to use your items correctly. Um, and so the combat is definitely, like I said, one of those pillars, one of the columns of this game that, like, it, to me, is what sets it far above all of its peers. Like, there is no other. You can almost quote me on this. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'll regret saying this, but like there is no other open world game that feels and plays this good. Yeah. None other. I can't think of one. Um, That's why it's my favorite. And I, folks, I, just to just to help assist Josh's point here, I need you to imagine um, if you've played Breath of the Wild, right? When you hit a Lionel or a, a Bokoblin or a whatever else, if you hit them in the face, there's a little ping sound and they get stunned. If you hit them anywhere else, it's damage. I need you to understand that when a sawtooth, which is this saber tooth like machine with like, you know, blades for jaws, you know, coming at you, if you don't hit it in the right component, the damage just isn't as high as it needs to be. So you seriously have to aim for the shoulder. There's like, for instance, um, in the in the DLC, the Frozen Wilds, there's this thing called the Frost Claw, and it uses 
you know, ice attacks and different things. You know, these these animals often have elements to them. The storm bird, which is probably the hardest foe to face, is this giant flying eagle, and it uses electricity attacks as well as dive bomb attacks. The thunder jaw doesn't really use any particular one, but if you're not careful, it'll it'll shoot lasers at you, and there's nothing you can do about it unless you can take off those weapons. I need you to understand, folks, that when I say you have to use a tear blast arrow to blow off the Thunderjaw's drone attack and then also take out with your hardpoint arrow, your hunter's bow, which is on the other side. So you got to click the left trigger, rotate over to the hunter's bow, and make sure you have the, one of the three correct pieces of ammo and then use that to shoot off the guns on the side of the Thunderjaw's face, which takes aim, that you are entering a, like the third fourth, fifth, 17th dimension of combat when you deal <laughs> the with layers. the layers, Josh. Yes. And then he's exactly right. He mentioned, he alluded to this a second ago, Josh, when you said you have to like, you, you know, you slide to cover cause you're just trying to get relief real quick. The stalker's coming after you. So you've got to take out the stalker's long range gun and then pivot immediately to deal with the grazer that's mad at you for no reason because they're charging you. So you've got to like, You've got to decide who's the top priority. So, you, you know, it, it's insane. The, the combat, it's all over the place, but it's so natural. You start off with weapons with, like, one type of ammunition, right? Like, that's it. Simplify. Uh, simplify. Just kill the thing. Just please survive. And then you start buying these upgraded versions of the weapons with, like, different options. Freeze, shock, fire, corruption, um, tear blaster, which is specifically designed not to do damage but to blow off components. So you take off the armor and then you hit it with the hard point arrow for bigger yeah. damage. Like, folks, folks, <laughs> the level of detail to this combat is unparalleled. I've never had this much fun and I've never been this technical. And when I say, like, it's not the same. Like, when you go after a Lionel in Breath of the Wild, for instance, you just you shoot at it, right? And if it hits it, it hits yeah. it. For this yeah. game, if you just shoot at it, you will die. You need to be aiming at something. And... You know, that can be done when you hit the... We haven't even talked about it, but Aloy has this little uh, assistant kind of a thing. She finds an AI ear set piece, which looks kind of like a little triangle. It's called a focus, and mm -hmm. she can scan machines with that because it's kind of like a dictionary or a, a cyclopedia computer thing that sits on your ear. And it doesn't really speak to you. It doesn't have a personality, but it assists you, and you can read holograms and view videos that way. It's really cool. It's It really levels up the game, and it's so crucial to how they play off their world and everything, so we'll get to it in a second. But, like, the focus, you have to look at your target, stay hidden, stay stealthy, observe your point of attack, and you can either, like, all right, this thing's pretty big, set trip wires, you can tie it down, you can launch elemental attacks at it to put it into a state of frozen or on fire or stuff like this. Like, folks, the strategy, the layers, oh yes. my, it is a fever dream of combat. And you can tell that this is masterful design Yes. Just simply, I'm just going to point this out, but just simply on the fact that you don't lock on. Oh, yeah. Oh, my You don't gosh, lock on, Jared. You know, that's something you don't even notice because it's so well done. You yeah. have to control Aloy. So you're moving, you're sliding, you're dodging. You have to control your camera. So you're shifting it around. You're keeping that monster in your perspective. You're trying to make sure you're aware of the other monsters, aware of your surroundings. I know when I was starting out again this time playing through, I think I rolled off of a cliff like six or seven times just because I wasn't paying attention enough to my surroundings. So like you got to make sure that you're doing that as well. And then you have those other layers of, yeah, the um, 
the shock arrow or whatever, and then like having those different uh, tools that you have to use to systematically break it down. And then each of the different uh, machines has like almost steps that you, if you follow correctly, will make it easier on you um, to to finalize that game. But I think that all like I think putting it in the perspective of like you don't lock on. Like yeah, Zelda a, a Zelda cheapens point. it because 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 you you gotta lock on in order to do it. Even Dark Souls does that um, in some capacity, and you you don't have that here. You don't because it's just so masterfully designed. And I'm smiling. I'm smiling so big because I'm picturing. You're so right. A thousand times when I was like, "All right, I know it's behind me," and you're sprinting for cover because this thing is coming after you, and you're trying to get around this like because it caught you off guard. You're kind of out in the open. And it, it like took a pot shot at you and knocked you off. So now you're like, all right, I've got to heal and get to cover real quick here because it already knows where I'm at. I can't use stealth yeah. anymore. So you're running, you're booking it. And Aloy's red hair is flashing in the wind as you're running for this rock because there's no cheesing in this game. So you can like obstacles right. are actually obstacles. So you're booking it for this rock. You can't lock on. You know it's behind you and it's chasing you. And when it hear the whoop, 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 you know there's a charge coming, right? So you oh, man. Just yes. Dodge and roll, right? And you're like, all right. And then you pivot. You, you're aiming as you turn, right? And oh, my goodness. Oh, there's just so many good elements to this game. And you're exactly right. Lock on, like not having that forces you to get good. G-I-T-G-U-D. Get good. And when you do, it is one of the most satisfying things you will ever do. Josh, did you like combat in the open world more or combat in the hunting grounds more um you know they're they're both their own thing hunting grounds are like where your skills are able to be put to use like that's where you get all those layers of strategy really coming out in the open world you can kind of cheese it a little bit right you can run away and you can kind of like um you know pick them apart a little more slowly on top of that you have to deal with the environment a little bit in the in both settings, I suppose, which can be fairly annoying at times. Um, but I think the hunting grounds are certainly more rewarding. Would that be what you would yeah. agree with? Well, yeah, just because it's like, well, you know, because of the elemental component, like, for instance, there's this thing called, um, and this is another reason why the game is so addictive, because there's there's a certain, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like a powering down sound that's so satisfying. When you finally do kill a machine, it kind of explodes in a little spark, not really flames, but kind of, you just tell when it dies, right? Mm -hmm. The health bar disappears and it's like, oh yes, finally it's dead. And then there's also kind of like elemental um, uh, factors to this thing. And so there's so many good sounds. And when I say sounds, I mean like Sword Art Online level good sounds. One of the reasons that series is so popular is because like when Kirito flashes his blade, the the baseline that runs through the TV at you is because of the yeah. rupturing of the thing. This game has all of those same haptically delicious sounds. And one of them is like the blaze canister. When you are aiming in like slow motion a little bit, which is not unlimited, so you can't cheese it. You can't cheapen it. You're right. aiming in slow motion for that blaze canister as this grazer is running away from you and you hit it with the right flame arrow and it's just the right angle and it kind of whatever else. But it's interesting because if you don't draw back the bow completely, which takes a longer amount of time in, in the slowdown time, right? It's not instantaneous. Um, if you don't draw the bow back completely, your arrow is less accurate. So you ha- actually have to time it perfectly, dude. And it's, it's so satisfying. You hit that blaze canister, the animal explodes, everything around it catches on fire. And then, you know, 
next next one up. Who's next? You got to freeze this animal because they're better with with uh, fire stuff that doesn't really affect them that right. much. Oh my goodness! So and you got to like balance the different strategies for each yes. machine too. Exactly. Like if you're facing off against what are they like the bellows or whatever with, with typically they're like yep. one element fire or the other. Fire bellowbacks or frost bellowbacks. Yep. Yeah, like you, you have to protect, or you have to attack them in a particular way. But if there's like a, a little crab dude, like the crab dude is gonna have to be hit from behind. Like he's got a lot of front facing defenses, so like you have to balance that out. But if there's also a snap maw in there, I think that's what they're called, the like crocodile ones. It's just like they're all you approach them all differently. You have to. Yes. Uh, and so when you're faced off with especially more than one type, you have to balance all that. That's on you. You know. And because you're the hunter. Because of map density, the habitats of these machines is often right next to each other. So there'll be times right. if you're crossing that Karja Desert and you're trying to deal with like two rock crawlers that are underneath the surface and they're they're their own issue themselves. I hated those things. Those are probably my least that and the Stormbird are my least favorites to fight. Um, oh, Thunderjaws are a lot are of fun. <laughs> I know, dude. They are. Glint hawks are annoying, but they're not that bad. But Stormbirds will wreck you. They're so. They will. Yeah. Yeah. They'll just crush you, and it's a good thing. Well, you played this one. on hard too, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, but so that's um, pretty brutal because it's. I mean, the only thing they really change with hard is just how much damage you take. Right? They don't necessarily change anything else. I suppose. Yeah. I don't. I. I think the combat's the almost the exact same. It's just that. Yeah. The damage you take just gets harder, and then the the health. Which of drains. course means like one hit from a thunder john, you're done. <laughs> so like you yeah, have to be actually, very careful. <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah. Actually, it will take out like just about your whole health bar to get hit by that thing. Uh, depends on what level you are, and it's cool too because the game caps out at sixty. Like you cannot get higher than level sixty. So it eventually just says, "Hey," and it does take a long time. Like I literally beat the whole game. And then I hit sixty, so that's that's how that goes. But yeah. um, but um, what was I going to say? But the hunting grounds, as I kind of got away from that, the hunting grounds. The reason they're so rewarding is because it takes those combat scenarios to the nth degree. You know, when you're out in the wild, you're just trying to survive. So you're, you're kind of just like you're chucking arrows left and right. You're taking out weakest to strongest typically, or you're focusing on who's the strongest to get them down, or or you know. You know, kept away from you while you take out someone else or whatever else. So it's survival is a little different than like targeted, specific, doing it as fast as you can attacks. And so the hunting grounds can be tremendously rewarding. I don't actually know if they, I would imagine they get harder with the difficulty. I think the reason the hunting grounds took me so long is because I was on hard. But, um, but yeah, so it's like you have to tie down a trampler inflict uh in an elemental state and then shoot off a specific component like and that's all while you're being targeted by other tramplers and you know a couple glint hawks in the area that are dive bombing you like it's insane and it takes the combat to like i said the nth degree but you know it is what it is everything everything is so 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 enjoyable and there's one element here that's specifically i want to mention is the corruption arrows um those are a lot of fun out in the wild but they're counterproductive in and wild hunting grounds. And the reason I say that is because corruption arrows are something that you can shoot and it will make a machine angry at whatever's nearest it. And that works if you're targeting a group of machines that are a good distance away from you. So that's a lot of fun because like um, there's a specific behemoth caravan that has the behemoth, which is the big kind of rhino dude who launches rocks at you and then a bunch of crabs. And if you corrupt the crabs, they're pretty hardy. So they'll like beat the crap out of the behemoth and you can go finish them off. But if you get attacked by machines and mass all of a sudden, that 
goes against because the corruption just makes him mad at whatever's next to him. So they'll just see you and come after you like they normally would. So there's a way that this game really makes sure that you're not cheating or cheesing it or you see what I'm saying? Like you're not, you're not cheating right. your own experience on accident. And so it's just insanely well balanced and so, so, so satisfying to play through. And human Gotta combat too is great because the, so the bandit camps, uh, did you ever meet Nil? Did you meet the psychopath guy who likes to kill people? Yes. Dude, he is my absolute favorite. Did you finish his quest line? I want to say yes. I did not this last time, so I cannot remember all the details of it. Okay. He's he's the guy with the headdress. He's he's like, oh my goodness. One of his quotes is the place where um the 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 place where the arrowhead meets the gaps in the armor, that is where I feel most at home. I'm like, what the heck is with this dude? <laughs> but he's awesome. He's so hardcore. And his quest line, he eventually like he is a bloodthirsty psychopath, and he knows it. He's kind of like Dexter in the show Dexter. Uh, he yeah. just he kills baddies. That's that's how he copes with his bloodlust. But it finally gets to the point where you literally clear out all the bandit camps, and then he comes to. He's like, "There's nothing left for me to do." So I propose that we fight to the death. And and um, he's he's fantastic. But he is one of the elements that you can. He's one of the, your allies where you hunt bandits and. Dude, there is nothing more satisfying than just popping off fully arrow drawn right back to the right to as far as it goes and headshot. Boom, yeah. headshot, yeah. boom, headshot. And like it's just so satisfying. So the human combat, while it can be tedious, because like, you know, it's just as many moving parts and it's smaller targets too. So like a sawtooth is big. So even if you miss, you can kind of still get some damage with a human. If you miss, you miss. And right. one of the things that makes this game difficult is that. Aloy's hand-to-hand combat is just a spear. That's it. She's really not strong in hand-to-hand. Like Sekiro, up in your face. Close, personal, you can deflect anything. Any big sword comes right at you, deflect, boom, stab. This game, no. Like, you'll get smacked, and you could easily die from a bunch of humans surrounding you and pelting you with arrows and, and swords and stuff. So it's, it is um, certainly satisfying all the way around. Josh, the reason I bring up Nil... Um, actually, what did you, did you like the human hunting just as much? Did you enjoy the bandit camps? No, I mean, yeah, they're, they're different. So they add a different, um, way of playing the game to it. I do think the machines are definitely the, uh, the focus. They're the star of the show, but yeah, yeah I mean, it works. It worked fine. Sometimes in I games know. where there is a better or a more, a more important part of the combat, when you add a human element to it, it tends to be worse uh, I'm thinking like even Last of Us, the first Last sure. of Us, it, it, you kind of have like human interaction versus um, the infected. And with the second one, they really capitalize on on the human element a lot better than the first one did. Um, but all that to say, I think Horizon does fine. Honestly, I don't think it was anything to to write home about, but it was sure. good. Like it, they, they mm-hmm. did it to the level that you'd expect, so. Yeah, the um, so the uh, I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> I was gonna ask you, um, your favorite way to approach machines is it to stealthily sneak up, place a couple traps, lure them into you, and then just bombard them with explosions and traps, or did you just like to like, you know, pick them off one by one, or what? Tell, like, what was your favorite? I was, so yeah. my first time I played through, I was very much set up traps, stealth as many as I could, and then 
finalize, you know, with some quick arrows or whatever and take out those last few. Um, this last time I was just kind of like bulldozing through, like I would just run up to them and just yank out my bow and arrow and try and lob off as many of the pieces of uh, equipment as I could. But I don't think the game is built for that. I think it does want you to be strategic and that is definitely the more rewarding of the strategies. So I would suggest going that way. And I think it is uh, also built for that as well. Yeah. I I couldn't help but like my favorite way to do things was definitely to um rope caster the big guys. Like I oh, love yeah. that stuff, dude. It's you so gotta do satisfying. That. <laughs> it sound, is because and it's crucial sometimes. Yes. And the but the sound effects um are like just the the chunk of like the rope casters it launches from your hands. I love the rope caster. Snaps dude. into the machine and you tie it to the ground like done one another move over launch another move over launch and oh my goodness such such satisfying stuff but again too, the way like, she just like casually places it in the ground as she has first connected it that's just great I, I love it i know it's so good but another thing too is like sometimes you know you're running for your life so you have nothing yeah. to do but like <laughs> pop off quick shots as you're diving yep. left, diving right and a lot of these um the cauldrons are essentially the game's version of a dungeon, which I want to ask you about in a second. Uh, you're just like trying to survive some of these times because the 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 area is so wide open that you're just there's no cover, so you're just running for your life. Josh, one of the cons to this game, I think, is the lack of, ooh, how should I say this, width, and by that I mean like the exploration, and we're gonna get back to like all the things that we love in a second here. But the exploration, like, there's only, like, five or six tall necks. Mm-hmm. There's only five or six cauldrons, and there's only five or six bandit camps. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's endless machines, and there's respawn points. So, like, yeah, you can just go machine hunting. But, like, I want more. I was, I, did you feel like you yep. were left wanting more of some of the unique quests? 100%. The open yeah. world is, weirdly enough, one of the weaker parts of this game. I know. Um, Isn't that strange? Go ahead, elaborate. It is, because it is supposed to be an open-world game, but I don't think that was necessarily what Guerrilla Games is going for. They want, and they they mentioned this in interviews, it's like they went for density, and I think in their mind, density was those machine fights, so you get all that, and you get the combat plenty, and, and so you're satisfied no matter what, but you're not there for the world, and you're not there for the exploration necessarily, at least I wasn't. And the respect of the actual open world part of this game, bare, bare bones. It's it's pretty generic, I would say, in my mind, at least. And, and that even kind of extends to the environment itself. Pretty straightforward. Like, you got grass to hide in, or you got ropes to climb on. And then otherwise, you're just out in the open fighting these things. You can't climb up rocks. You can't uh, scale mountains. Um, oftentimes the environment actually gets in your way and actually that's my biggest gripe with this game is that it actually ticked me off quite a bit how much just like uh rocks and things just messed me up like there was a particular moment actually this last time i was playing through started the game towards the beginning where you first leave from yeah your part of the map and you're going out into the world for the first time and you go up to a fortress that's being attacked by a corruptor and a couple of watchers. And I had 
a couple moments where there was like a cliff on one side and it wouldn't let me like jump around over there. It kept saying like, you're not supposed to be in this area. Like it would literally flash on the screen. Like you aren't to be in this area and it wouldn't let me move. And I just get stuck in the geometry of the map. And then I died. And I was like, this is not well designed. It's just not. Um, that was the biggest gripe I had with the game was the the open world and the environmental design side of things. And not from a visual perspective, because it's obviously gorgeous, but it definitely leaves a lot, a lot to be desired. I remember that being a huge sticking point for me because this game came out the exact same day as Breath of the Wild, and right. Breath of the Wild's open world and design of its environment are world-class, obviously. Like, that's what people love about that game. And that was such a stark contrast to Horizon. Horizon has the combat. Horizon has the story. Breath of the Wild doesn't have those things. But Breath of the Wild had what, in a lot of people's minds, is arguably the more important part of an open-world game. And that is its open world. (laughs) Um, And so those are my biggest gripes with Horizon. And I know not everybody agrees with that. It's adequate. It does what it needs to do. Um, but I definitely had some problems in that yeah. field of things. No, I'm glad you said that. Um, I don't. So the climbing thing is one that needs to be mentioned because Aloy can climb like a monkey. She's fantastic, but she can only climb designated climbing paths. Yes. So I, I think which the game- Jared, you know, is an older game thing. Like most open world games today have gone around that. Um, all the Assassin's Creed titles. Ever since Breath of the Wild, especially, that's like an expected thing. So Horizon kind of gets a pass because it was right at the same time. Um, but that is one thing that, like, with Forbidden West coming out, I'm like, yeah, that's an easy thing that they can improve on and would make this game so much better than its predecessor. So I kind of agree and I kind of disagree, and here's why. So one of the things about this game is that... the. It, it has tremendous use of verticality. So I will say that. Like, the game takes you to the highest highs and some of the lowest lows. You're exploring caves. You're exploring old, abandoned um, skyscrapers. And so the The map accentuates cl- that, too. Yes. Like, yes. the actual, like, when you pull it up in the menu, it, you can, like, see the depth, which is cool. Oh, yeah. that it, Really, really well done. And... Um, you know, the traversing the terrain is going to take you up the sides of mountains and and down the other side into valleys, into pits and, and, you know, deserts and forests and all this different stuff, tall grass, high grass, low grass, snow, water, all that stuff. So a tremendous variety in landscape. And if it weren't for the designated climbing areas, I think you'd get lost 30 times more often. And so I, I... I do think that that was almost necessary. Like, Link, here's the issue. There was a lot of times that I climbed up a rock face with Link uh, in Breath of the Wild only to realize that I'd kind of put myself out of position by being hard-headed, and if I had just followed the path around, it would have been faster. So there was there's some of that, like, Frustration is the wrong word, but like almost wasted time, I suppose, as opposed to Aloy. Like, if you don't see a climbing path, there's nothing up there. Like, that's kind of what the game is telling you. 
Um, and so I kind of saw it as like a time saver, to be frank. But yeah. again, there's nothing like quite like being able to go literally anywhere. So I, I do kind it's of get it. It's a simplified way of approaching it. Yeah. So it's got its pros and cons. De- definitely a preference thing. I just felt like the way that they did the climbing mechanics and like things that you could climb and crawl on were yellow. <laughs> like that's just kind of how they let you know. Like it was just mm-hmm. colored a yellow, uh, yellow, and that was that. Um, and I, uh, you know, not having a stamina bar was nice. And the climbing graphics were pretty amazing. She looked like a true free climber a lot of the time. And so, it, um, and you know, there's an important part of the game at the start where she's training for the proving, and Ross teaches her how to climb and how to maintain her balance and all this stuff. And so you're able to reap the benefits of that in your exploration throughout, you know, the whole game's world. And so I didn't mind it as much. Um, again, the biggest issue that I had with the game was the breadth. I just wanted more of what they had. I felt like the depth of everything they chose to do was fantastic. I felt like the breadth, however, it was lacking. Like I, I need, I need almost like a level of bandit camps that rivals Far Cry. Like Far Cry, like mm. three, for instance, right, where the whole island is just covered in bandit camps for you to approach any way you want. This game had like six of them. You know what I mean? So it's like there, right. if that's what you enjoy, you're going to be lacking some of it. Um, uh, the, um, ooh, I lost my train of thought. But the but the exploration across the map for the most part is really great. Aloy can underwater is not too much of a thing. Like that's not really something that you do. Um, so that's kind of taken off the the map there. Um, but I I did enjoy it, and I enjoyed the scenery around. I love the vine covered cities and all this different stuff broken down arenas sure sure and i no i, I mean wanted, in sorry go ahead and finish what you're saying i just wanted more i just wanted more that's there's yeah. a there's i wanted more collectibles i wanted more lore i wanted more background i wanted more banuk figurines to collect i wanted more metal flowers uh which are really cool by the way because they they read poetry which is another way of designated the gaia's as the you know mother ai her ability to feel and think and and do things the little metal flowers that you collect if you like look at them closely in your menu they actually have poetry in them so that was pretty Mm. cool um little little snippet there but um but i just wanted more you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and i think the the storytelling that's built into the world is cool when it's there but i agree that it could use it could use more that being said, though, one of the coolest moments in this game, the first time I played it for me, was... And this game is set in the Rockies, so that's home yeah, for Utah, me. Yeah, Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, like kind of like where all those intersect. Yellowstone is included in the DLC. Right. Yellowstone National Park, yeah. So it's Midwest, so like this moment paid off in a way that it won't necessarily for everybody, but there was a particular moment, because there's like... Uh, I don't remember what it's called in the game, but it's like scenic views that you can go and look at and you can see the past in. And I look down at this one and it shows me because of my perspective, the past through my focus and it shows the Red Rocks, the amphitheater, which is a, an amphitheater that, um, musicians and comedians and, um, like celebrities will go to in Colorado that I've been to. I've, I've run up and down those steps. I've gone and seen that whole garden and park there and, for that, like, to see that, oh, man, that was so cool. And it put the game into 
like it, it put it into perspective it put that world into perspective it put that into the story that they're telling in such a way that was seamless made sense of what, the, what else they were doing and paid off yeah in dividends so like the world itself even though it's it's pretty small it's not full of things like you'd hope it does have issues especially with the the lack of climbing and, and sometimes the geometry definitely gets in the way um, that being said, it's beautiful. It has a lot of story elements to it that I think are obviously just like the rest of the story, just well thought out. And I, I do enjoy it for that reason. I do think, though, that is out of all the different parts of this game that we're talking about, the world is the part that I am most looking forward to in Forbidden West. Sure. Because yeah. I think that's the part where you can see a lot, a lot of leaps and bounds and improvements. Um, towards something like a Breath of the Wild, towards something even like a Skyrim. Like I think Skyrim's yes. open world design and philosophy is better than this one's. Um, and, and and like a Witcher or whatever it may be, there's a lot of different examples you could pull from. That's where this game gets to that next level. You have the combat nailed down. Oh yeah, like it's Flawless. it's near perfection. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have the story nailed down. It's so well thought out. It's so well implemented. The characters are so um, deep. Really, like they're not. They're not uh, shallow or, or one-sided, but the open world is where I'm like, okay, here's where you can improve. Here's where um, you can bring in other elements from other games, or you know what, Gorilla Games, forge your own path with it. Try something new. Blow yeah. my socks off even there, because yeah. I know you can. You've proven that you can. Um, but that, in my mind, is like, that's its weakest point, and that's also where it can then, with its sequel, uh, really uh, hit the stars. Yeah. Now... Um, when I say, like, I totally agree with everything you just said. When I say the breadth of this game is lacking, I, I think it's illustrated best by this point. So in Skyrim, when you play the Dark Brotherhood and when you play the Thieves Guild and you finish those quest lines, what you get at the end is radiant questing. Um, and you're familiar with this, Josh. It's essentially infinite questing. You, you have infinite number yeah. of side quests. Go here, take this money from this character, and it, they just generate endlessly. You can do them infinitely. This game could have benefited tremendously from Radiant Questing. It doesn't make sense why they didn't include it in there. Like, go kill this rampant machine. It's terrorizing this little conflict, this little area. Go, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, go deal with this. There was too many special locations that were just like used very poorly there's several right, used once and then never again or not at all at all like there is right. there's little um like guard posts in the karja empire like they're filled with guards and you can't even talk to them that's just not a thing you can do there's like there's not even a side quest you're telling me that all out of all these guards no one wants you to like deliver a letter to their great grandmother who's like in a hut on the side of a mountain surrounded by thunder jaws like nothing you know so <laughs> And and so like side quest. I need like a thousand more side quests for this game to have any replayability. Because playing it once yes. through, I, like I told you the last time we talked, like playing it once through was good enough. Like I know there's no replayability. There's no rating right. questing. There was very few side quests as it was. Let me demonstrate how how few side quests there were. At the final battle of the game, it takes place in two stages. Down near the bridge entrance to the town where you can launch um, bolts of hot metal at these oncoming machines. And that's great. It's kind of like a easy shooter. Like you're just kind of launching like mortars and grenades almost essentially, although that's not what they're called. But that's great. Very 
like lovely little area and then you run through the burning city because you got knocked unconscious to the final battle area where you're dealing with a giant Deathbringer and like a couple of loose robots all while trying to overcome Hades with your spear which can override machines and turn them good right so like that was that now I will say this the final battle was for me at least tremendously anticlimactic it wasn't hard enough when I say I died a thousand times playing the hunting grounds, I mean that literally. When I say I died because a, a storm bird in a particular path right outside the Karja Desert killed me a thousand times, I mean that literally. Like, well, when I say the final battle on hard mode was the easiest thing I did the whole game, that was really disappointing. I can't even lie to you. And, and one of the reasons it was so disappointing is because I got the side quest trophy, all of the allies... And when I say all of the allies, I mean the eight entire side quests that the game has for you. Uh-huh. Yep. Like, that was it. And and it was so disappointing because, like, you have Varl and Sonia, and you have, um, there's this girl that's in kind of, like, one of the two big cities. There's only, like, there's, like, um, there's the Shadow Karja city, which doesn't have almost anything to do in it. It's got a tiny little side quest that's it. Um, very little to do. And then there's... Um, uh, the Meridian, which also doesn't have enough to do. Like, it's a big city, but, like, I just need more. I just need, I need, need more. I need it to be, like, a Markarth or a White Run or uh, yep. a Solitude. I need bigger, badder, more. And and so the side quests that are significant enough for you to have made friends in the way totals up to, like, eight or nine people. And when I say the final battle takes place on a... It was just sad. Like a, three of the four, three of the four side quest allies that you make are down at the bridge, helping you fight off those. So you get to talk to them briefly. Yay! They're here to support you. And like, that's it. That area is right. so. <clears throat> pardon me. That area is so sparse, except for like your four friends. And then you go up to the final battle area, and it's this wide open, like circular field. Like you've seen it on the map. You know where the, the big mm-hmm. spire is and everything. If you help your friends in their side quest, you get like a total of like five people. Josh, this area is like a field. It's like an expanse. It's it's the it's the final battleground. What are you doing? It's like, yay, we're here to take them on. It's like when you yeah. throw a party and like two people show up. Like it's supposed <laughs> to be a party. Like so, it was tremendously disappointing. Like the the number of side quests. I'm just like, I love this game so much. I need more of it. I need need more of it. And, you know, Frozen Wilds with its storyline and DLC, same issue. Not enough side quests. It just doesn't scratch the itch enough. Um, you know, so that that is definitely my biggest issue with it. Now, <clears throat> I I don't know if you want to push back against that, if you disagree with me there. Um, no, I, I totally agree with everything. Okay, then my next question for you is, like, I like how the story ends. Ends on a cliffhanger. I like that. But the the one thing, what did you think of the dialogue? So... There are a couple times when you, and I'll just say this as a side note too, like the weakest part of the graphics of this game was the face representation of the actors. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. the Lance Reddick, his looks great because he's never smiling. And that was actually a crucial thing. Aloy looks great because she's almost never smiling. But I don't know if you noticed, I'm kind of laughing at this. Every time a character tried to smile, it looked really like uncomfortable and cringe and like kind of <laughs> grotesque a little bit. Like Avad, the Sun King, he smiles. It's like uncomfortable to look at him smiling. Did you notice that? I mean, this game definitely has 2017 vibes, and 
those <laughs> those conversations. Like that was one of the things booting it back up. I was like, ooh, yeah, like this is no PS5 game. Um, so I don't know if I noticed the smiling in particular, but it does have just it is a little stilted. It's a little stiff compared to I think some advancements we made since then. They look great, and they it use does. the same models in the cutscenes, which which tells us that it visually the models on their own are impressive. Yes, um, yes. But yeah, the animation definitely left uh, a lot to be desired, um, especially when it came to those character to character interactions. Yeah. I, now I'll 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 just say up front here, the dialoguing, I have yet to meet a game where the dialogue impressed me enough that I could say, leave it in there. And, and here's why. It's like, for instance, um, the worst that I've almost ever seen was um, Fire Emblem. Like, the things that you said just <laughs> straight up did not matter. And this game kind of suffers from that a little it does. bit. It a does. A little bit. But again, I also can't really, like, fault your designer too much. For instance, like... Like, you can't write an entirely new game just because someone chose to kind of, like, cough instead of speak in a particular moment. You know what Especially I mean? Especially like, a game with a story of this magnitude. Exactly. You really do kind of need to limit it. At the same time, there was... This comes fairly close. It's, like, halfway there. I'm, like, 50% satisfied with it. And the only reason why is because... Aloy is put in these difficult positions in which she can respond with force, compassion, or intellect. And, you know, it it is what it is. Like, you can kind of, like, if you respond with force, it essentially means that you yell at them and say some choice words because you're angry. It's kind of, an, you know, you're a way of expressing some anger. And that was appropriate times. When you finally kill the Eclipse boss, I can't remember his name, she says some cruel things to him before she kills him. And, like, if you chose the force dialogue option oh yeah she's she'll rip his head off and then kill him like it's 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 brutal she'll just say you you're a fool you've been used you're weak you're one of the weakest people i've ever met in my life and it'll be a pleasure to kill you it's like whoa okay oh wow um and then there are other times in which you can respond with compassion it's like i can't believe what you're going through and so aloy and the voice acting is perfect no matter what it is ashley birch does a tremendous job but i don't know if you enjoyed that or disliked it i'm I'm getting the sense that you kind of disliked that but let me hear your thoughts um no i think it was fine i honestly the 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 voice acting especially really carried it um beyond maybe some somewhat generic dialogue and conversation um yeah the dialogue options themselves were shallow um and it's not meant to be that i don't know if i even care for that in most games like unless the game is kind of like focused on that and that's supposed to be one of its main selling points i'd rather they just give me like what they want me to see because at the end of the day like yeah maybe that'll change moments here and there like, I mean, like the beginning when you have that option to either throw the rock or, or stop the, like, you know, keep yourself from doing it or whatever. Like, it doesn't necessarily change any outcome later down the line. It does um, It's just Actually, within that moment, it'll just give you an, an idea of, okay, yeah, you can go one way or the other, but no consequences that's necessarily. That's not quite true, but... But again, it you're right. You're right because it does change the later um, interaction with that particular character. Yes, with that. So maybe that's a bad example, um, but that's not true of most of those moments throughout the game. Yes, uh, most of them so. it doesn't change a single thing. Even really, like 
the way they interact with you. Like it's a little like, but the dialogue is pretty like good for the most part at, at keeping them up to date. So there's a couple times when, um, like if for instance, a, 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 the hunting lodge gives you a quest to go take down or whatever else, and you've already taken it down. Sometimes Aloy will say like, well, I've had experience taking down stalkers before. And they're like, oh, have you? And they'll acknowledge your past accomplishments. And I did like that. I really did like that. Um, but for the most part, like if you respond with force, someone may cower a little bit, but you still get kind of the same idea. If you respond with intellect, they'll note that you're witty. Now, the only way I can see the dialogue being improved is in the sense that like, if you keep choosing the aggressive option, it would be nice to be acknowledged as a, a character who keeps being acknowledged for her aggression or yeah. strength. No, and I tried that this last time through, and I was I was disappointed in that regard. Yeah, so like, there's no reward at the end if you just choose the compassion dialogue option every single time. There's mm-hmm. no right; it doesn't change anything. However, if you no were Undertale to like, vibes. Yes, exactly, exactly, and that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, what if I chose like out of the 15 times I'm allowed to choose? What if I chose aggression like 80 percent of the time? Then I open up a specific quest line where it's like vengeance or something is the focus and you really get to like really lean into it. Or if you choose compassion, it opens up kind of like this really emotional side story. You see what I'm saying? Like some kind of reward for like your consistency or your choices Um, or an achievement. That would, if you, all you did was add radiant questing to this game and dialogue options that actually mattered, you would increase this game's replayability like tenfold. It would really change everything. Um, I, you know, but as of now, like I see, I see Horizon Zero Dawn sitting on my shelf over there. I'm like, I'm happy. You know, I finished. Right. I, that's it. I don't need. And that's kind of a shame with these RPGs. Like every once in a while, I miss Breath in the Wild, so I'll go back and play it because I enjoy it. And there's so much to do. But with, uh, although I, that's kind of a bad example. Skyrim's the better example of that. But like Breath of the Wild Two, like I made this comment with that episode when we reviewed it way back when, is like it needs more side quests, it needs more cities, it needs more people. Same thing with this game; it just needs more breadth, not depth, because that was great. Whatever you did was great. You put a lot of thought into it, and the the depth was there. But it needs more width, is what I'm looking yes. for. It needs yeah. more. Did you did you enjoy the cauldrons, that kind of this game's version of the dungeons, or did you not enjoy them? Yeah, I thought I thought they were they were adequate. Um, I don't think they stand out to me as anything incredibly right. special. It's just, it, it is a good, yeah. No, I mean not even necessarily mediocre. Just as just so much as just oh, it's it's video game stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> it's giving me things to do, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Josh, um, man. I, I feel like we've covered just about everything. I think the focus was a key component. It allows you to dive into the lore. It allows you to strategize with your um, with your enemies. It allows you to link to the past really well, and it it provides you a special I'm the I'm the protagonist kind of thing because no one else has one of those. And it also serves as a great plot device for furthering the story and and uh, and also connecting you a little bit to Hades, who is a, a the bad AI that you have to defeat. Um, I didn't really, I felt like that was one of the game's strong points. I didn't feel like it was gimmicky, so I liked that mechanic. Um, At this point, yeah. So that was just my final thought. That's why I wanted to throw it in there because I I think it's useful. No, I mean, honestly, I don't have anything else to wrap up. I think we could even just wrap up 
all of the design by saying it's world class. <laughs> like, it is world class. Uh, obviously, the graphics, the art direction, the user interface. Like, and we talked about that even with combat, like the weapon wheel and how quickly you can craft things. Like, e- there's nothing there that I have any complaint about whatsoever. It is so well done, and the music is serviceable. It's not like it's gonna stick yes. out. Um, on any particular front per se but it's it's good it's good and yeah. and so all of the design side of this game as well um it, it it benefits every aspect of it. it there's no part of it i think that that takes back or takes away from from yeah. the game only one tweak one tweak when i'm selling things to merchants for parts or whatever else i would like to be able to buy specific animal parts but i don't know if that makes it too easy no i agree yeah. I agree. Actually, I ran into that problem this next, the second playthrough because I accidentally sold a bunch of stuff, and then I was like, "Ooh, I wanted to actually buy the fast travel stuff, yeah. but you needed particular animal parts." And I was like, "Ah, that means I'm gonna have to go hunt." Yeah. And I kind of quickly went through the inventory of what the guy was selling, and yeah, they didn't, they didn't have any of that stuff. So yeah, um, no, I, I think that's that's a legitimate thing to say, and I appreciate Jared, you especially like. You hone in on specific details of things that you you bring out because you you know okay yeah I am I am someone who looks for the convenience side of things oftentimes especially when it comes to UI and um, so I appreciate your perspective on that and, and little things like that maybe it doesn't seem like the end of the world one way or the other but yeah I mean that's a that's a legitimate thing that they could improve so yeah. I, the UI for combat, flawless, perfect, wouldn't change a single thing. But the UI for like just kind of getting around in the world, like fast travel I thought was great. You had to buy the fast tra- the unlimited fast travel pack to make that happen, or you can craft it. I think that's lovely. That's a great way to keep fast travel, like keep you appreciating it. Mm-hmm. However, with the selling things, it's like I need you to like separate my menu. It doesn't make sense to have like crafting items right in, in kind of literally in between machine parts as well as in between things that are only for selling as well, you see what I'm saying? Like, you definitely right. could have used a sub-menu for the things that I needed to sell. Um, I, that's definitely one thing that I would I would say for the merchant side of things. Um, did you miss a mini-map? No, I did not. And I'm glad you said that because I didn't feel like it was... I didn't feel like it was necessary just because... Just because I like the big button on my PlayStation controller. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, I mean, that's legitimately a, a good reason. I mean, it gives you uh, a reason to jump into the menu. And I think it, it doesn't clutter. Like, you have the compass on the top, so you can find where you need to go. Yes. And there's plenty of indication as far as, like, um, obviously, you have the marker directly in front of you as well. So you don't need a mini-map at all. And that also keeps you more immersed in the world. Yes. So you're not staring totally at the mini-map. Right. Instead, you're taking in the sights. Yeah. Yeah, you only pull up your your combat um, if you hit the the wheel, and everything else is just right there. And the 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 health, the little D pad option for choosing health and choosing your traps or potions or whatever else, can be as simple as you want it or as complex as you want it. I didn't use potions at all. I just used health potions, okay. and traps. That was it. Simplified. So everything. did you enjoy the health system then? I did because you you have to go around like. Call of Duty, Apex, stuff like this, it's necessary to like fall to the ground and stab yourself and you need a time delay because it makes it competitive and exciting. But in the game like this is just tedious. And it's such a fast pace that like you have to remember to heal yourself. And on a hard difficulty, this was this was crucial because if you started the healing process too late, 
like it took too long to heal and then you get swiped by a giant machine paw and you die. Right. So like you did have to time <laughs> it and incorporate it into your combat, which again made it flawless, right? But at the same time, like it just bypassed the tediousness of it, which is like rummaging through your pack, taking a second to kneel down and do your health. Mm -hmm. And I love that it kept the game at a million miles an hour, especially there's the, like, for instance, it ramps up difficulty. And this is something I'll say about the DLC. They add a couple new weapons that like heighten your ability to play. Uh, they make it more specific. Like you get a flamethrower and an ice blaster and all this different stuff. So that's great. And the armor upgrades a little bit. I did, uh, man, there's so much to talk about this with this game. I'm trying to wrap us up. The modifications <laughs> felt pointless to me. Like they were kind of, yeah. like they, they made a big difference, but like swapping them out was tedious because it wasn't obvious like which ones were better. I guess it was okay, but like that was a weaker side of the game, I thought. Um, and then, but the DLC, there's a specific enemy called the Scorcher and he launches himself at you. If you had to like stop and heal, while dealing with him launching, it'd be a pain in the butt. Instead, it's so much yeah. better just to tap the top of your D-pad and dodge roll. It just keeps things slowing. I really like that. Skyrim style, open up your menu and eat all yes. your bread, cheese, and wine. <laughs> Isn't that so... You're totally right, dude. It's so outdated. Yeah, so I'm totally with you. Josh, I personally think this is just an absolute Hall of Games chunk throw it in there do you have any qualms <laughs> or any extra thoughts tell me i'm done talking my voice hurts not a single one no i think this game does have some aspects of especially its open world that i hope the sequel capitalizes on and from what i understand it really does yes um so i am very much looking forward to seeing the full potential realized yeah. Um, that being said, that doesn't mean this game did not realize its full potential. I mean, this is a, a first time outing from a game, uh, a, a, excuse me, a studio that has never made an open world game before, never oh, made yeah. a combat game like this, and they knock it out of the park. It is unbelievable how good Horizon Zero Dawn is. And what a funky name actually makes perfect sense within the context of the lore. Um, yeah, I love how... I just love the the background of this game. Like the the fact that like this idiotic businessman screwed up, you get Pharaoh's plague coming into these these um machines and then this lady gets bring in Elizabeth and she like realizes we only have what is it like 15 months. Yep. Until not just like the the machines take over but actual planet extinction. Yep. Like yep. everything is gone we are doomed and like that setup to me is just so awesome and to see them like pay that off like getting mother gaia set up and like she's going to terraform the planet and reset everything and then to have all that in the background too especially and then to start the game with this intimate setting of you don't know what's happening aloy is being uh taken away by ross um and, and you're seeing the conflict but you're not sure what the conflict is quite yet um man just for them to knock all that out of the park, dude, I just cannot stress enough how special this game is and how much of an instant classic it really is. Um, it's available on PC. Obviously, you can pick it up on PlayStation consoles. You should play this game. Everybody, I think, should play this game. And so for that reason, I don't have any hesitation putting it in the Hall of Games. Booyah. Ka-chunk, as we like to say it here. <laughs> On Bard's backlog, the Hall of Games has another member. Couldn't be happier about our choice. Absolutely. First one of 2022. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, guys, be sure to tell a friend about the podcast. Drop us a five-star review and check out our past episodes for more backlog in-depth conversations as we work through our video game backlog together. I am the casual. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you agree with mine and Josh's decision. And if you don't, tell us why. Until then, Josh, any last words? Well, Jared, quick question for this for this uh, upcoming few episodes. What games are we going to be covering? I know that we have Persona 5 on the docket sometime yep. this year, right? Yep. Um, what else do we got? I'm trying to God think. Of I feel War, like we've talked Persona about it. Okay, 5, God, of, God of War, yes. God of War 3, we said that. Uh, well, I don't know. Have you if ever you, played an Uncharted game, Jared? I haven't. I would love to. Okay, that could be on there. Uh, Bloodborne. I want to play Bloodborne this year with you. That's on my list. Maybe even Ghost of Tsushima. I don't know. We'll see. Yes, yes. I would be down to. I'd be down to cover that as well. Plenty, and then all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So looking forward to big episodes on the way, guys. Very, very excited about it. Josh, I had an excellent conversation with you. Um, To everyone else, this is the casual hosting for today. Signing off.